Well, today is our uh, last installment of our three-part series entitled The Missio Dei Triad. Um, in this series, we were really just kind of um, trying to communicate that our mission statement, which is Christ's community culture, that it's integrated and that it's interwoven and intersynced together. They're inseparable. You cannot separate our three um, missional points. Um, the uh, three missional points are Christ, community, and culture. That's who we are as a church. And as we enter into this new semester, we wanted to kind of dial up our passion and our zeal for those three things. So today we're going to focus on culture. And when you see the word culture, uh, just I'm just going to give you the bottom line of the whole message. When you see the word culture, you should think mission. Just think mission. Culture equals mission. And so when we talk about uh, Missio Dei's um, mission is to um, abide in Christ, to have a, an abiding relationship with Christ. And if we have an abiding relationship with Christ, he will send us out on mission. That's just the way it is. He always is going to send us. Um, and secondly, community, which means we covered last week, an extended family on mission together. So our community is on a mission. And then today we're going to talk about culture, which basically just means engaging the culture around us in mission, being sent out to the culture. So the first question you may ask is, well, why didn't you just use the word mission? <laughs> why did you use the word culture? Why, why didn't you just say Christ community mission? Well, because it doesn't start with a C. Actually, no, it, there's, there's, there's really more intentional reasons why we chose the word culture over the word missional. And just real quickly, let me tell you why. First, the word culture is kind of like a bad word in our circles. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. Um, in, in, in many Christian circles, the word culture just has become kind of a negative thing. You hear people talk about, oh, we're in a culture war, right? Which, does, which kind of suggests, if doesn't in fact mean, that the culture is the enemy and we're trying to beat it. And so I don't necessarily think that's true, and I want to use the word culture in a way to redeem it. Secondly, we use the word culture because in the Missio Dei, Christ is sending us into our context, and the context that we are being sent to is a culture. We are being sent into cultures. In fact, the Bible says we've been sent to the ends of the earth, so all of the cultures or the nations of the world. And so the word culture isn't bad, it's good, and we need to enter into all the nations or all the cultures of the world, including the one that you live in. And probably the most important reason why I did not want to use the word mission is because the word mission just has lost its umph. I mean, if you, especially if you've grown up in the church and you've listened to sermons all your life, there's just not much that a pastor can say about mission that will get you up. It's just true. We overuse this word and we use it incorrectly, and it doesn't, just, and it doesn't mean anything to people anymore. And I think part of the reason why is because when I say mission, most Christians think of going to Africa or going to China and doing ministry to an extended, like, like, like Emily's going to go to France. When I say the word mission, you mostly think of that instead of thinking about the culture right around you, which is another reason why I wouldn't use the word mission, but instead use the word culture so that you can be thinking about your mission to the culture around you. So here's what I want to do tonight. First, I want to talk about culture as a definition. What, is the, what does the word culture mean? What do we mean by the word? And is culture bad? And what's the church's role with culture? Are we supposed to separate from culture, or what are we supposed to do with culture? And then secondly, I want to then answer this question, and that is, what, does Missio, what is our vision? What is our mission at Missio Dei to enter into culture and to uh, redeem, renew, and retell the culture story through the lens of the gospel? And I'll unpack all of that tonight, okay? So that's where I'm going. First, what is culture? Is it bad? And then secondly, what are we supposed to do in regards to culture? 
All right, so the first question is, what is culture? This is actually a really fun question. If, if I were a professor, I would love to teach a class, you know, on culture. Um, one of the reasons why it's interesting is because the word is kind of a confusing word. I mean, because we think of all kinds of different things when we hear the word culture, don't we? I don't know about you, but sometimes when I hear the word culture, I think of a National Geographic magazine. And I just think of all these different faces and all these different people from different people groups and different cultures, and that's just naturally what comes to my mind when I hear the word culture. Also, we tend to sometimes use the word in a, in, in a way to talk about maybe a flavor or um, a DNA of a corporation or a business. You might hear someone say they have a culture of innovation and creativity and, and, and leadership. Have you ever heard that before? This is a picture of one of Google's um, working places, working spaces, and you've heard it before. They have a culture of innovation and freedom. This morning I woke up and I was putting the finishing touches on my sermon, and I don't know why I said this, but the kids were all screaming. I'm like, man, we've just developed a culture of whining in this home, you know? If you want something, just whine, and it will come your way. <laughs> so I started whining, and it didn't work for me, but, but nevertheless, sometimes we use the word culture to talk about the DNA of a place. Uh, sometimes we use the word culture to talk about styles and um, kinds of people, you know, like, like that's a cultured person or an uncultured person. Have you heard that before? Say, someone say Amen. Yeah, so uh, there was a there was actually a Christian conference recently called Christ and Culture. D. A. Carson spoke at that, and and he said this about that concept of of talking about different cult different cultural um, elite levels. He says, if a person read Shakespeare, Goethe, Gaudreau, Voltaire, and Flaubert, and listened to Bach and Mozart while reading a slender volume of poetry, all the while drinking a mild Chardonnay, he would be called cultured. You've heard that before, right? But on the flip side, if he read cheap whodunits, or better yet, didn't even read at all, while drinking a beer or a Coke, all the while listening to ska or heavy metal and paying attention to the Xbox screen with the latest violent video game, he would be called uncultured. Is that true? I shared this with my wife, and she goes, I guess we kind of have an uncultured church, don't we? <laughs> I think most of our people are kind of fit that than the other. So it's just Midwest, I think. We like Xbox and Coke. But we call it soda, right? Soda. I like what D.A. Carson said at the end of that quote. He says, if the shoe fits, <laughs> you're either cultured or you're not. Here's a simple definition. A simple English definition of culture is a people, a people's way of life, meaning that it's the way that groups do things. Different groups and people may have different cultures. People do things differently. You know this to be true, right? Um, you have family members. You have, if you're married, you have two families in a sense, right? You have his and hers, and aren't they different? They have different cultures in those places. So just, just to, for the sake of time, I want you to know that this is our definition of culture. When you see the word culture in the Missio Dei Logo, Christ community, culture, what I mean is a way of life, people's way of life, the way people do things. And what that means is, is that every single one of us here lives in a different culture. Um, the construction worker um, works in a place that's a different kind of culture than the school teacher, right? So we all live in different kind of cultures, and you have to kind of figure out their way of life and how they do things, whether you're a, a banker or a businessman or a bartender or a ballerina or a bill collector, right? We all have completely different... You like the way I did that? Those were all Bs. I want you to know I spent about 20 minutes on that, Greg, trying to find another B word. I couldn't think of how to turn arrow, whatever it is that you do with the B word, but, you know, let me, help me out. You got a B word for your job? No? Okay. Boeing? Boeinger? <laughs> We're all in different cultures. 
And so the key is, our vision, our mission here is that you would enter into that culture and do ministry there. You don't have to be a missionary. You don't have to go to Africa. You don't have to go to China. God has sent you. So the next question is, is culture bad? Is culture bad? And if you have been paying attention to Christian communities, you would think it is. I mean, I was just going to be flat out honest. Most of my life, the tone and tenor of my experience within Christianity is that not only is culture bad, but it's very, very bad. And we should separate from it. It's sinful and it's evil and don't have any part of culture. Don't watch TV and don't watch movie. You know what I mean? Culture is bad. I need you to know that historically, for the past couple of hundred years, this has been a huge debate. And it's not over. It's still a huge debate. Just Google the word Christ and culture and see what you get. A lot of good stuff and a lot of bad stuff, too. The big, huge debate. And so on one end of the extreme, it is culture is evil. We should separate from it. And that whole mindset created the monasteries where they would separate from culture and just pray all day. Or the Mennonites, right? But then there's this other part of the Bible that kind of seems to suggest that we're supposed to enter into the world and change the world, right? Jesus seems to say that. So then there's a whole other side of the spectrum that believes we should enter into culture. Just by the way, by the way, evangelicalism was a response to separatism. Separatistism? Separatism. I should just drink my Coke and watch violent video games, and then you <laughs> shoot, I don't even know how to talk anymore. <laughs> so separatism was separate from culture, don't watch rated R movies, don't go to, don't dance, don't chew, don't wear blue jeans, right? And the evangelicalism was let's move away from that, and let's move into, let's be evangelical and try to redeem the culture. And so rock and roll isn't necessarily bad, we can make Christian rock and roll. <laughs> and movies don't have to be evil, we can make Christian Something like movies. I don't know what you call Christian movies, but something like a movie. You know, we, we can try to redeem it into the world. That's how evangelicalism started. Unfortunately, evangelicalism just kind of brought in all those fundamentalists with them, and instead of actually influencing culture, just kind of created their own subculture, which we talked about in the first week of this series, and it hasn't really done the job. So another reason why this is such a big, huge debate is because the Bible seems to have verses that say both. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? The key word that I said there was seems. <laughs> the Bible has verses that seems to support both views. Culture is evil. Let's separate. No, wait, culture isn't necessarily evil. Let's redeem it. Now, for instance, let me give you a couple of the bad verses. In red, evil. Culture equals evil. In red, John 2, 1 John 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. There you go, right? Culture is evil. <laughs> Do not love the world or the things in it. Stay away. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Oh, and it has a threat at the end of it, too. <laughs> or the famous verse in Romans 12, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be separated, be, be renewed with a, a new mind. John 15, you do not belong to the world, Jesus said to his disciples, but I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. And there are other verses like that. I just wanted to give you three quick ones. There's verses in the Bible that seem to suggest the world is evil and we should stay away. Then on the flip side, there are completely different verses that have just as many. There's just as many verses that I could put in green that suggest that the culture isn't bad and the world isn't evil and we don't have to separate from it. For instance, Jesus, in a very long priestly prayer, he says, God, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. And he says, as you've sent me into this world, so I am sending them into the world. So he's not saying, get out of the world. The world is evil. He's saying, go into the world. I'm sending you as sheep among wolves. I'm sending you into the world. 
In Matthew 5, he specifically tells us, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. If the world were evil and we were supposed to separate from it, there would be no way to illuminate it or season it, right? You can't season something unless you're in it. John 3.16, the most famous verse in the Bible, says, for God so loved the what? He loves the world. <laughs> he told us not to love the world, remember? <laughs> in 1 John, don't love the world or anything in it, or you don't have the love of God in you. But then in this verse, it says God loves the world. And it goes on to say more. He gave his only son. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order to that the whole world might be saved through Christ. But what is it? Is the culture and the world evil and bad, and should we separate? Or is the culture loved by God, and is it going to be saved? And what, what do we do with that? <laughs> you see the argument? Can you imagine why this is still a hot topic? And that's just a few. I mean, there's a whole lot more. <laughs> You'll often hear um, people in Christian circles just say this. Oh, especially if I just said it like I just did. Do you see the difficulty? Do you see how hard this is? I can see an old man in a suit with a big old Bible saying this. Well, it's, it's in and not of, Mike. Have, have you heard that before? It's in and not of. That's, that's what you need there. Because they already have the answer, right? It's in and not of. And this is a motto that Christians often say, but I'm just going to be honest with you. I think it's a horrible motto. I think it's done great disservice to missiology. It, it, it confuses people. It doesn't help us missionally. I'll tell you why. First of all, it's completely oversimplified. Well, it's in and not of, Mike, sir. When people say that, I hear in their voice this arrogance that it's so, it's so clear, it's so obvious, it's in and not of. As if we know how to do that. How do you be in and not of? Have you thought about that? I mean, it's not just, oh, it's in and not of. I got the answer. It's so harder, than, it's so much, it's so more complicated complex than that. How can you be in the world and not of the world? I'm having a hard time myself. It's not that simple. And then secondly, it steers us away from mission because normally when people say that, they say in and not of, and what they mean is not in at all. We're going to reject the world. We're going to condemn the world. We're going to, we're going to um, curse it. We're going to say negative things, and that's how we're going to show that we're not of it. But they're not in it at all. Anyone tracking with me? Can, can anyone say... Amen? All right, good. I like what John Piper said. He explains it well. He says, this motto could seem to give the drift, that is the drift away from being missional, because we're in this world, alas, but what we really need to do is make sure that we're not of it. In this way of configuring things, Piper says, the starting place is our unfortunate condition of being in this world. Sigh. And our mission, it appears, is to not be of it. So the force is moving away from the world. Do you see that? It sounds like this. Rats, we're frustratingly stuck in this old world, but let's marshal our best energies not to be of it. Do you hear that? And what that does is it makes us not in the world, not useful to the world, not salt in the world, not light to the world. And so perhaps a better way of saying in, not of, Mike, sir, would be better to say not of, but always sent into. That's the Missio Dei. Jesus is sending us into the world. As the Father sent me, so I sendeth thou you into the world. So we're not of the world, which means 
we don't hold the same values that the world at large holds, which is greed, money, power, um, selfishness, right? We, instead, we're in the world, and we love the world, and we're trying to reconcile and redeem and renew and retell the world's story through the lens of the gospel. That's what we're all about. So here's a discussion question. <laughs> and I want you to get personal here. How do you personally live out this not of, but sent into the world motto? How do you personally kind of balance those two? Culture's not bad. In the bottom line, I want to say this. Culture is not bad. It just is. Culture could never be more bad than people are because culture is people. Culture is a people group and how people do things. And so culture itself can't be bad, but people are, of course, they're bad. And so people are sinful. So uh, sinful people make, for, make sinful cultures, and sinful cultures makes a sinful world. If we rejected and stayed away from the world, and we'd have to stay away from people, and we'd have to somehow stay away from ourselves. Do you see, see how that works? So culture's not bad. Um, so then how do you enter into culture, but at the same time not be of the culture? What are you doing now, personally, to be not of the world, but going into the world? Let's take a couple minutes and talk about I want to move forward and say that when we talk about culture, I think that it's helpful to break it down into three categories. How do we deal with culture? How do we live in it and not of it? And um, you may have heard this before. This is not new. I didn't invent it. Um, there, there are three ways, I think, three categories in which we can put culture. Uh, one is to receive it. Two is to reject it. Or three is to redeem it. And I'm saying that all three categories are the ones we should, we should, we should um, have in our pocket. So some things we, um, we, we experience in culture, and we would just naturally receive those things. They're not bad. You know, let, yeah, give me some of that. You know what I mean? I'm going to receive it. Other things are like, no, I can't. There's no unity with that in Christ. There's no unity with that in Christ, Christian theology. I cannot do that. And then there's other things like, well, you know what? If I can tweak it a little bit, it will work just fine for, 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 for where I am. So let me give a couple quick examples. Uh, receive it. What are some things that Christians can receive in the culture and the world that we live in? Uh, I, the first thing I can't help but think of is technology. I love it, right? Give it to me, all of it. Uh, I want the newest, the fastest, right? We all do. Um, that can become an idol, yes, but technology in itself isn't bad. Uh, we use it all the time. I drive a car. I have a laptop. I have an iPhone, and I love Netflix, right? And the church has been using technology forever. All of you also drive cars. Uh, we have TVs and videos and um, speakers and monitors and microphones and texting, reminding you of events, and email blasts, and children check-in systems. We have one. We don't use it because we don't have too many kids, but you know what? We have all those things in our church, and all churches do that. So we're, uh, clearly, the church isn't anti-culture because we always receive technology. Isn't that true? But there are some things that we just have to reject. It doesn't fly with Christ. I don't think I could ever think of a Christian pornographer, for instance, or a Christian hitman. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed this, but you don't notice very many Christian country music singers, right? I just, there's some things, some, some things you just have to reject. I'm just, I'm just saying. And then lastly, there's the redeem. Some things you have to redeem. So what's a good example to dance? Okay, there you go. That's a good one. I, I, th I, I racked my brain to think of one, and I thought of this one. When I was an undergrad, I studied psychology. So um, learned a lot about Freud, Erickson, Jungian theology, uh, psychology. And then I went to seminary, and I was really worried that when I went to grad school, they were going to say, yeah, five years of undergrad, $180,000 later, it was all bogus. Instead, what you need is to adopt our you know, Christian psychology 
books that we have. And I don't know what the, I just imagined they would be like um, 700 Club type stuff. You know what I mean? I just, that's what I kind of imagined. But fortunately, and I took the Christian class and the, I mean, the Christian counseling class. And the first thing the professor said is if you've got a psychology degree, because most of you probably do, because most of the time, if you think you're going to go into Christian counseling, you would get a psych degree and be in a BA. He says, none of that stuff is bad. Freud, yeah, some of the things he said was crazy, but a lot of the things he said was right on. Erickson and the, and the whole thing about the self and who you are deep inside and the id and the ego and all of that, there's some valid truth to that. Now, there's some crazy stuff that came out of it. We're going to reject the crazy part, but we're going to receive and redeem the truthful parts. So all you have to do is take everything you've learned from Freud and Erickson and Jung and, and, and all American psychology, and instead of saying American psychology is ridiculously stupid, here's the Bible, now go help people. They said, just take that psychology and look at it through the lens of the gospel, and you can fix it. You, you can use it. Here's the thing that they would always say. Yeah, I heard this quote a lot in seminary. All truth is God's truth. Have you heard that before? God is truth. Jesus is the way and the truth. He gives us truth. And so if there's something that's out there that's true, then it's God's, right? And for something that's out there that's not true, then it was maybe it was God's, but it got twisted and someone lied about it. But, but if it's true, then God, God is the one who initiated it. So all truth is God's truth, and just because Freud was a little kooky at times doesn't mean we have to reject everything he says. But isn't it true that most Christians do that? Look, I don't like what so-and-so said here in 1997, so now I'm going to reject everything, everything he says here. So receive, reject, redeem. That's what we should do. So there are things in your world in which you can receive naturally. There's things that you're definitely going to reject, and you, and you know it. It's pretty clear. Personally, I think the, 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 the categories of receive and the categories of reject are pretty obvious. Don't you think? Boom. You know right away. Yeah, I'm going to reject that. You hide your kid's eyes. <laughs> Cover your ears and say no. Or you say, hey, that's fine. Yeah, I think I can take that. But redeem, that's just a little different, a little challenging. And so that's really where we're going to go for the second part of this message because when I talk about culture in our mission statement, Christ community culture, I don't mean, hey, look, we have a unique definition of culture, because it's not unique anyway. What I mean is, we believe that we should redeem the culture. <laughs> and so we've got to ask practically, well, then how do we do that? How do we redeem culture? So just to, just to move, just to kind of pivot, and I'm going to review what we've covered so far. We've defined what culture is. It is the way a group lives. It's not bad. And there are three categories in which we should respond to culture, receive, reject, redeem. So now the next question we want to answer for the next 10 minutes is how do we redeem culture? And I'm just going to be honest with you. I could spend four days here. I really could. I could bring in Paul's motto, I will become all things to all people that I might save some. You've heard that before? I could preach a whole sermon on that. I think I have already, actually. Um, I could bring in Paul's um, sermon on, the, on Mars Hill in Athens where he uses a statue of an unknown God to tell them, hey, this is Jesus. I just want to tell you that statue was not Jesus. <laughs> Paul did something that you and I would never do, but he was able to use their culture in order to redeem it and tell the Christ story in their story, weave their story with our story in a way that I've never seen Christians do today and get away with without getting murdered by some um, fundamentalist. So I could go there. There's so many verses I could go to, but we don't have time. We've really got to roll. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to give us two things to focus our little hearts on this week. Uh, the first thing is community, because remember, our, um, our mission statement is interwoven and integrated and inseparable. You, you cannot take uh, the three apart, um, Christ, community, culture. 
So the first thing I want to say is the vehicle in which we influence the culture and engage in the culture is through community. I'm going to unpack that. And then the second thing I want to do is say that the other vehicle in which we influence and engage culture is the obligation of love, which Jesus gives us the perfect model for, to love our neighbors, love the world. And that's just two things, but I could say a bunch of things, right? But I want to focus us on those two things for the next semester. Um, And then I've been thinking about this in the past four hours. Um, I probably need to add a word to that. I don't want to just say just community and love. What I want to say is selfless community and selfless love. And let me tell you why. Please don't get your feelings hurt. I'm not trying to hurt anyone's feelings. I do believe that we live in a selfish culture and that we are selfish. And I feel like it might be appropriate for me to say the biggest hindrance we have to influencing culture is ourself. Because what I'm about to say is how we enter into community to influence the culture. But the only way you can enter into that community is if you're selflessly entering into that community. If you're selfish, you're going to say, I don't want to go to the community. I don't want to go over there and talk to those people who look weird. I just want to go home and sit in front of the Xbox and drink a Coke and read a whodunit, right? And when it comes to love, and I can't tell you, I've talked, I talked to someone just this week who had a, an opportunity to do something to someone and love that person. And he told me he didn't, even though he heard God say, do it. And he said, eh, and he didn't. And now he's regretting it. He didn't. Why? And he tells me, I didn't do it because I was selfish. I was in a hurry. I had to get here. So I, I, I honestly think that the biggest hindrance to influencing the culture is not theology. What do we do in, not of? It's just plain old selfishness. It's all about me and my family and my schedule. And I just, it's not a, pri- it's not a priority. Can someone say amen? So we need selfless community and selfless love. So the first thing we need to do is, is, as I've been saying this a couple times tonight, let me unpack this. I said we need to renew, redeem, and retell the culture story with the lens of the gospel. You've heard me say that today? Anyone think, oh, what does he mean by that? Um, And actually, I'm just going to borrow this whole illustration from Timothy Keller. I could quote him, but it would take nine slides. So let me just borrow the illustration. Um, When we talk about retelling the story, what we mean is that every culture has at the center of that culture a, a, a central value. You know what I'm talking about, right? The whole culture values this one thing. And so everyone has their own individual stories, right? My name's Karen, I'm a teacher. You know, my name's Greg, I'm an aerodynamic pilot. And, and, and we all have our own little stories. But, <laughs> but because we value this one particular thing, our stories center around those values or that value. Does that make sense? So the example that Keller uses is that his parents, who in the early 1950s and before, American culture had one overriding value, and it was live a good life. Be good, work with your hands, have a, and live the good life. Just be a person of integrity and honest and good. That was sort of the main overarching value of the greatest generation. That was what they call them. Um, and so, if you think about it, the way we retold their story to, in, to bring the gospel into it, think of Billy Graham, would sound like this, but you'll never be good enough. You'll never reach God's holiness because you're sinful and sin separates you from God and you've got all kinds of sin. You lie, you think bad thoughts, blah, blah, blah. See, you're not so good. See, the thing that you value the most really isn't really there. What you need is Jesus to die on the cross and wash away all your sins and you'll have a clean slate and look how good you'll be. You'll be holy and sanctified, and you get to go to heaven. And it worked, didn't it? Yeah, it worked. 
Billy Graham converted millions of people. Hearing that illustration, doesn't it make you think, that kind of has spilt over into our culture, hasn't it? You kind of hear the gospel presented that way. Your sin, here's the cliff, you know what I mean? And here's dark sin, and then Jesus' cross kind of falls right in that cliff so you can walk across and get to the other side because you've got sin in your life. But it's not working, is it? Is, is it? I don't think it is because in our culture, the value is not be good and have integrity and have a clean slate. Not at all, Right? What's the value you think today? I mean, I know where I'm going to go with this illustration, but what do you think? Almost pathetic. Yeah. Tolerance. That's a big one. Yeah. Yeah, I think today, culture, a big one. Keller says that today's um, culture, or not necessarily, you know, there's a lot of different generations living right now, but, but one of the, the values of the younger culture is freedom. So it's all about freedom. We have, I, it's an inevitable right. So, so, so then how do you retell the cultural story of freedom is the, is, the, is the core? How do you retell the story in light of the gospel? Well, you say it like this. You, your, your main value is freedom, but you're not really free um, unless the Son has set you free. And if the Son has not set you free, then you're a slave to something. You're, you're, there's, there's something that masters you, whether it be greed or power or money or sex or whatever. You are all, everyone is a slave to something unless the Son has set you free, which is why he said, if the Son has set you free, then you are free indeed. And, and so we preach freedom to, to um, this culture and say the gospel is about freedom. You might remember we had a series, a 12-week series on freedom, because that is the core value of this culture. And so you retell their story by saying, you want freedom, I got your freedom. It's right here. You're not going to get any more freedom. You can never be more free than as a Christian. And they think it's the opposite, right? We have to retell that story so they can see that Christianity is not about being gooder and trying harder and being better. And, and, and it was not about that value necessarily anymore. Now it's about the value of freedom. We didn't change the gospel in any way, excuse me. We just are retelling the story in a way that affects the current culture. All right, so here's how we do it with community. Now I'm gonna, now I'm gonna be practical. How do we, I mean, that's the overall culture of America and, uh, and uh, our generations. Um, but in each of your individual cultures, in your schools, in your workplaces, in, um, in your dance studios, wherever you are, there's a different culture there. And so you'll have to go in and say, what's the value here? And how do I retell their story in such a way that they can hear the good news? That's what we do. So how do you do that? First, I said with a selfless community, the vehicle of selfless community. So here's, here's the amazing thing. I got this logo here. Um, Trinitarian logo, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It means that God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one, okay? One God, three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, but they're one. And so God is three in one, meaning God in himself is a community. Do you see that? It's a community of unity. It's a calm unity. <laughs> and he created us in his own, someone finished that image, thank you, which means all human beings were created in the image of community. So all human beings long for community. Facebook is a picture of that longing, and they're not getting it. Everyone's on Facebook because they want community. They want to be known, but yet they're not getting it there. So everyone longs for community. Everyone, not just Christians. Please hear this. It's not just Christians who are the image of God. It is all human beings are made in the image of God. And so the Christians have been called into a special, unique, holy community, but non-Christians also long for community. And can I tell you something? I promise you they're in community somewhere because they want it. Those people in that neighborhood and those people in that neighborhood, they have formed and made their own community. So the first thing we need to do is we need to find community 
We need to enter into, you enter into your culture right now, and you look around and say, where's community happening in my culture? In your dance studio, where's community happening with these moms and dads? In the school, where's community happening with these teachers? Is it happening after work? Do they go to the pub? Do they play golf? Um, Do they have play dates on the weekends? Where's community actually already happening? And then a true sent one just says, I'm going to enter into that community and learn that community and hear their story and hear their story long enough that I get good at retelling it with the gospel. Does that make sense? I have a friend um, in another state who uh, I don't believe is a Christian, um, and they've converted their garage into like a little neighborhood community center. They just said, we wanted a place for our neighbors to hang out. And so they put a nice floor in there, put some chairs in there, a television, a refrigerator, and they just open up the garage door, send the kids out, send the kids out in suburbia, you know, on the street there, put the signs, you know, slow kids playing. And then all the neighbors just know already to come over and just hang out. You know, you've got a refrigerator, you've got cool drinks. Here, I'll bring a hot dog or two. My kids can play with your kids. And they just sit there, watch the news, watch the sports, whatever, and just hang out. I'm so envious of what they've got because I think they have better community than most churches that I've been a part of. On Sunday morning, you can drive past their house and they've got kind of church going on right in there, loosely speaking, right? They've got a community of people, kids. I think it's awesome. If I lived in that state, anywhere near that neighborhood, I personally would find a way that I could get into that community. Hey, I just want to hang out with you guys. Thursday nights, right? I'll be there, I'll bring my kids. Get around the fire pit, roast some hot dogs, just hang out. And then eventually... I would be there long enough that I could hear their stories and I could retell their stories with the gospel. Um, But you know what this means. It means I can't be selfish. It means I'm going to have to say it's Thursday, I'm tired, I have to put the kids in the car and I have to go over there. And I can't just do it once. Hey, do you remember that one time when Michael came? Yeah, that was cool. No, it's got to be almost every stinking week for them to start to know you and trust you and like you. And I need you to hear another thing, too. I'm not saying I would go in there and steal that community and turn it into a Bible study, (laughs) okay? That's not what I'm saying. Hey, I've been coming here a couple of weeks. Don't you think we should turn this into a Bible study? That'd be cool. Get out of here, buddy. (laughs) You know what I mean? That's exactly what they would do. And I'm not saying I would go in there and secretly, you know, snipe out every person and make them Christians. (laughs) Got them all. Now it's a Bible study. (laughs) No, I would just go in there, love those people, know those people, They're not projects, they're my friends. And then eventually I can reset, you know what? I see this high value amongst you guys. And do you know what the Bible says about that? You have a high value of children. You know what God says about children? And there's just a way in which you can tell the story. That's what being missional means. Um, Other examples. It used to be the pub, right? Or, Or a place that people just go and they're regulars at. You know, you want to go where people, no, troubles are all the same, right? You, you could just go there. You could just go to Cheers every week, and you get to know Norm, and eventually you could retell his story. Um, uh, clubs, gardening clubs, book clubs, fight clubs, Dave. I mean, if you want to get, you want to get in one, I mean, I mean these are, <laughs> okay, you're not allowed to talk about it. <laughs> there, there, are, there are clubs like that, and you can get into a club, and those clubs exist primarily because people long for community. That's just the truth. And you can be in that club long enough and you can start to tell the story. You see what I'm saying? We're doing it here uh, at Missio Day recently through sports. By the way, sports is a huge community. You get on a sports team and you've got community immediately. And so we had a block party for the community next door and they came over 
And um, I found out from these two guys that they already have a community, and their community was softball. They play softball every week. And they said, you guys have a softball team? Maybe we can play against you sometime. I said, well, I don't think we have enough people to, to make a team, but maybe we have enough people to get on a team with you and play with you. And so see what we did? We joined their community. We entered into their community. And now we play softball with, with about 12 or 15 people from this neighborhood. And we just play softball every Sunday night with them. And it's a blast. So that's how you do it. You find community, you join it, and you begin to tell the gospel story in their language. But sometimes you look in, you look in your little community, you look in your little culture, and you don't find community. Some of you might be thinking that right now. Okay, so I have a culture, you know, at my workplace, and I don't know that anyone really has community. I can promise you this. They want community. They want it badly. So then if that's the case, then you need to find out, do they have it? And if sometimes you'll go with them. You know, you find out Sheila, she's, she goes to yoga every Thursday night. Okay, well, I'm going to go to, um, I hope you can do this. I don't think I could do this, but go do yoga. You know what I mean? Put your left foot on the small of your back. You know what I mean? <laughs> and relax. <laughs> I don't know that I could do that, right? But you could go into logo, yoga with your friend, Sheila, and you might find out, you know what, I think she does this for community, but she doesn't get community here. She comes, she does yoga, and she leaves. I don't think she might say hi to a few people. So she has a counterfeit community. So what I need to do, and what you need to do at that point, is you need to um, create community. If there's no community, then you need to create it for them. So there's different ways you can do this. You can continue to go to yoga class, but you can just be the life of the party. Hey, hey, how y'all girls doing? Y'all want to go out for a popsicle afterwards? Let's go. You know what I mean? And then you kind of create community, all right? If you don't have that personality, then of course you're not going to do that because that would be awkward. But there's other things you can do. You could have parties at your house. You can get people together. Um, this is the easiest thing to do. Just host a party and invite your neighbors and your friends and your family and your coworkers, and then boom, you got community. But can I tell you this? You can't do it just once. Remember that one time we had a party at your house? Yeah, that was cool. You've got to overdo it. <laughs> You've got to overdo it. You've got to do it so often that the people feel comfortable in your home. This is a safe place. I like your home. That way, next time they're over at your home, they might spill their beans and say, I think my wife's going to leave me, or I think that I have a power, uh, an addiction problem. You, you have to do this a lot. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, and this is in no way a boast, this is because we're church planters, and this is my job. <laughs> but, but you might have noticed that Kelly and I throw a lot of parties. Have you noticed that? I mean, every excuse we have to throw a party, we, we're inviting you over, and, and I expect you to be there. <laughs> but <laughs> don't I? <laughs> and if you're not, I understand. You don't have to, but I'd love for you to be there. And when you're there, you'll notice there's some neighbors, and there's some family members. And we haven't had coworkers in a while, but my wife's back in work now, so pretty soon there's going to be some co All of Kelly's old coworkers are already here. And so <laughs> we're, trying, we're trying to get new coworkers to come on in. Am I right? And then you just keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. And then eventually people know I can go to their home. It's, and that's my community. So if you, if, you, if you enter into your culture, look for community and join it. That's going to cost you a lot. Time, energy, emotion. If you don't see community, then you have to create it. That's going to cost you even more. <laughs> Time and money to host parties. But the question is, is do you want to be on mission or do you want to continue to be a Christian? period. And the last one is this, love. A new command I give you, love, Jesus said. We have to selflessly love the community, love the culture that we're in. And Jesus gives us all kinds of examples, doesn't he? He loves the prostitutes, which would be scandalous in our day. It wasn't his. He loves tax collectors. He loves centurions. He loves lepers and touches them. 
He, he shows compassion and love, and it changes them immediately. Um, he, he, he gives us the example um, to, to uh, his disciples, and he says, a new command I give you, love one another as I loved you, so must you love one another. And listen to this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus is basically saying, look, I'm God, and I want the world to know me as the God who has people who love other people. I'm sending you into the world to love. Jesus said, if they're sick, take care of their needs. If they're hungry, feed them. If they don't have clothes, give them clothes. Love them. Do you think that will change the culture? It will. I promise you. And let me tell you why I know for a fact. Because the early church, that is the first believers who became Christians after Jesus died, did what he told them to. <laughs> they did. He said, go love the poor, go take care of the needs of the sick, go give clothes to those without clothes. And they did it, and Christianity exploded. It was a movement. You've heard the old saying, Rome wasn't built in a day, right? But it was practically converted overnight to Christianity because of their love. Um, Rodney Stark was a non-Christian anthropologist when he wrote the book, The Rise of Christianity. That book changed my life. He says in this book that Christianity rose so fast in the Roman Empire because it was a movement of people who had a culture-changing kind of love. They didn't have to build the church. They just had to infuse Rome with Christian gospel. And then, boom, it was converted overnight. Listen to this quote. Christianity revitalized life in Greco-Roman cities by providing new norms and new kinds of social relationships able to cope with many urgent problems. To cities filled with homeless and impoverished people, Christianity offered charity as well as hope. So there were some cities like Ephesus or Colossae. The Christians quickly moved into there, and those cities had a lot of homelessness. They, qu they quickly offered food and hope messages, not just physical but spiritual as well. You often hear this battle within evangelicalism. What are we supposed to do? Both. Duh. <laughs> to cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachment. I love this. Corinth was a port city. So many new people living in there. For a city like that, look, there are a bunch of people who don't know anybody. Christians moved in and said, you don't, you don't have any friends? I'll be your friend. You don't have any family? We'll be your extended Oikos family. Do you see that? To the cities torn by violent ethnic strife. Can someone hear Ferguson? I do. To cities torn with St. Louis is on the national media right now, and it will be for the rest of this year. I'm sure of it. We have an opportunity to move in and provide what? New basis for social solidarity, equality. Did you know that Christianity was the first and only religion that started by saying something like this? There is now in Christ Jesus no Jew, no Gentile, no, no, no woman, no man, no slave, no free, no rich, no poor. We are all one in Christ. So listen to this. And for cities with epidemics, fires, and earthquakes, Christianity offered effective nursing services. So listen to the last sentence, my favorite. For what they brought was not simply an urban movement, but a new culture capable of making life in Rome more tolerable. My vision and, and hope for Missio Dei is that we would take seriously our calling by Christ to enter into mission, into culture, to be on mission, and change the culture just like the early church did in Rome. We will create a culture that's capable of making life, telling the story a little differently so that people can see what's really important. Give them hope, freedom, grace, the gospel.
Now, I want to conclude by saying two things. The first thing is this. Did you see what I just did? I just freed you by saying, you don't have to go to Africa. <laughs> you don't have to go to China. You don't have to go to France, Emily. You can stay right here. We're planning a church. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You don't have to be a missionary. You don't have to teach Sunday school, and you don't have to lead a Bible study. That's what I just did. I just freed you. I said that you have already been put into a culture, and all you need to do is recognize that Jesus has sent you into that culture. You have a calling on your life. Jesus has sent you into that calling. And your calling is not any less significant than my calling as a preacher. You've been called to be a teacher. You've been called to be a reporter. You've been called to be a ballet instructor. You've been called to be an aero pilot fanatic. <laughs> You've been called, right, somewhere. <laughs> You've been called to be a stay-at-home mom. There's nothing insignificant about that. All you have to do now is say, if that's my calling and Jesus has sent me here, I have to see it as me being sent on mission here. This is me being on mission, a stay-at-home mom. This is me being on mission, a school teacher. And I'm going to enter into community. I'm going to create community. I'm going to love these people. And the movement of Christianity will go, <sighs> see, like what I said the first week, it's not come and see, it's go and be. That's the first thing I want you to hear. I just gave you freedom. But the second thing I want you to hear is this. Don't use that freedom and hear this. Oh, I guess I don't have to do anything then. God's just going to like put people in my path and I'm going to be able to share the gospel and it's going to work. <laughs> yeah, how's that working for you? You don't just wait for God to put people in your path, although he does sometimes. I'm not diminishing that, but I'm not giving you the freedom to say, yeah, just go about your normal business. Wherever you are, that's where God wants you. It's all good. I gave you freedom, but I've also given you a lot of responsibility because now what you need to be is very, 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 very intentional about looking. Where does community that I can join? Where is there a place where I can bring community? Where is hurt that I can bring compassion? Where is needs where I can bring love? You're going to be very busy, and you're going to spend a lot of money and time. That's what it means to be on mission, and that's what it means to be a part of the Missio Day. Amen? Now, I want to close it with Christ. We do communion every week here because we believe that Jesus said we should, <laughs> as often as you gather. And I like it because it forces everything that I just said back to Christ, which is why we're really here. And I, and I want, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this verse, one of my favorite verses to you, in, as we prepare for communion. And as I read the verse, I want you to hear a couple things. I'll give you, I'll give you a spoiler. First, you're going to hear that Jesus was sent into the world, and he left his own culture, which is like a God culture, <laughs> and he became a human and was in a human culture. And then you're going to see that he selflessly emptied himself and gave up all of his own rights in order to serve the world. And he did it to the point of saying, I don't even care about my life. I will give you my life. And then we're going to see that in doing that, everyone's story gets retold. And now the story says every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to give glory to God. And so Christ is the ultimate example of what it means to be sent on mission and to retell the story. And he retells yours and he retells mine. Let me read this verse and then we'll take communion. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he also humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death and even death upon a cross. 
Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that even at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and even under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father.